Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. One of the primary objectives in Satan's work in our life is to divide. Right? It's to divide and to scatter. And Christ makes it very clear to us that no kingdom can stand if there's any divisions within that kingdom. And he says even Satan's kingdom itself cannot stand if Satan is divided. It's whenever they accuse him of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. If you think about the fall of humanity and what Satan did in deceiving Adam and Eve, the first result that we, we can witness or, or we can see from the fall is that life itself was divided. Life was scattered. Okay, and so I want you to think of four different relationships. Okay, four relationships that were divided or distorted from this, the, the fall of man whenever Adam and Eve fell into sin. Okay, first is the obvious one is our relationship with God, right? There was enmity between man and God, right? Sin was kind of like that barrier. And that's why in the prayer of reconciliation, whenever the priest holds up that, ba- that veil, and he says, in Christ Jesus our Lord, and by the name of Christ, he drops the veil, and then we are reconciled with God. Right? So that's what the prayer of reconciliation is for. Right? But obviously, whenever sin entered into the world, there was a division between humanity and God. Right? We were divided. That's one relationship that's obvious to realize. The other one is our relationship with each other. Right? Not only were we divided from God and, and there was some sort of enmity between humanity and God, but there was also division between man and man. Right? Between humanity within all the relationships with each other. First thing that happens after Adam and Eve fall, right? God comes and he's talking to Adam like, what happened? What does he do? He points to Eve. Eve is like, what happened? And she points to the serpent. Everybody's blaming everybody else. Like the first children end up killing each other. <laughs> right? And so you see that within humanity, that relationship was distorted. Right? Within humanity, there was enmity. There was a division. Right? It wasn't this harmonious relationship of, of peace and love that God intended for us to have. Right? So that's the second relationship that was distorted because of the divisions that existed. The third one is a little less obvious. It's actually our relationship with nature. Okay? If, you, if you know how God created nature, everything was good, right? Everything was actually under the authority of Adam and Eve. Like imagine whenever Adam calls the lion over so he can name the lion and the tiger and the elephant and the leopard and all of these vicious animals. Right? They, they weren't vicious in their natural order. Right? Everything was in harmony. There weren't earthquakes and all of these so-called natural disasters like hurricanes and so on. Nature existed in harmony. And Adam and Eve were like the, the kings and queens of creation. Right? And so that relationship was at peace. But obviously after we fell, 
God told Adam, from the sweat of your brow, you will labor and toil, and the ground will bring forth thistles. And so you see that the relationship between humanity and nature was distorted, it was divided. There's a fourth relationship that was distorted or affected from this sort of division that entered into the world. And this one's even less obvious to notice. And it's actually the relationship of man within himself. Right? The relationship that I have within myself. So not only were we divided from God, were we divided from one another, divided from our relationship with nature and the natural order out in the universe, but we internally were divided. We internally were scattered. Right? Our emotions go one way, our thoughts go another way, our hearts in a different place. Right? Like our will wants to do this, but our body and our impulses are pushing us in a different direction. We might be thinking about one thing, even though we're doing something entirely different. So we're scattered, we're divided, and there's this internal, what St. Theophan the Recluse calls disorderliness. Right? This is a sort of condition that we often normalize. We say that it's normal for my mind to wander. It's normal for my thoughts to be so scattered. Right? But there's a beautiful book called The Spiritual Life and How to Be Attuned to It. St. Theophan the Recluse is just writing to an ordinary woman out in the world. And he's explaining the way our, our mind works and the way God created us and how all of these thoughts and emotions and the disorder within us is unnatural. It's not natural, it's unnatural. Right? Whenever we strive to return back to our original condition, we want to restore all of those relationships, right? And you see, the saints have reconciled the relationship with God, have reconciled the relationship with one another. That's why there's always peace and love between them and even their enemies. Right? And they've even reconciled their relationship with nature. There's actually a beautiful icon uh, that... I, I love to show people, but it's Pope Krillus having coffee with a little wolf. Right? And you see so many scenes that have made friends with these so-called vicious animals. Right? But it's because they were restored back to their original nature, the nature of authority, the authority that God gave us as He wired us to be in His image and His likeness. And so that was restored. What happens when our nature is restored? Then we are reconciled with the whole universe, the whole animal kingdom, right? Um, I remember there's even a, a spiritual song in Arabic. Right? There's this saint that just had a pet python, right? <laughs> in his cave, this python would serve him. Right? It's beautiful to think about what happens whenever our life is restored. But at the very core of that, is actually our relationship within ourselves. Because if we ourselves are scattered, if we're divided, if a part of us wants to live in the world and a part of us wants to live with God, if a part of us wants to pray and to serve and to love, but a part of us wants to party and drink and just satisfy all of our lusts, then we'll never have a real relationship with God. We'll never have a real relationship with our brothers and sisters. And certainly no python is going to serve us, okay? And so what, what really matters at the very heart of it is our internal unity. And this is 
what Satan wants to destroy above all else. Satan wants to destroy our internal unit, the, the harmony and the peace that we are intended to have. And so how do we restore the peace that we're supposed to have? There's so many ways. There are so many ways, but the fathers tell us that the most powerful way to collect our mind and our thoughts and our feelings, our emotions, our impulses, and every power that tugs on us from different directions and to bring that all into one place to be collected and to be in harmony. The most powerful way to do that is prayer. Prayer unites our internal condition more powerfully than anything else. And more specific than just prayer in general is actually a unique prayer which is called the Jesus Prayer. My Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. The fathers make this unanimously clear that nothing unites us more powerfully than just the simple prayer, what the fathers call the arrow prayer. Right? And I'm sure everyone has experienced this internal tension, this disorderliness when your mind is scattered, you're thinking about one thing, somebody upsets you like two days later, it's still on your mind, you're worried about doing something else in a week or two, you're trying to multitask, you're trying to follow God, but the world is still tugging on you and you're all over the place. What do you do? You run to the prayer. My Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. So I just want to take a moment to explain to you how to practically apply this prayer. Otherwise, okay, this sounds nice, but you don't really know how to practice it. Okay, so I'm going to cheat a little bit and use this little pamphlet. But it's not really cheating because I made it. So it's not plagiarism. <laughs> and so it's like a little pamphlet that you can follow. You have it outside as well. And it gives you like a little overview of the prayer and some practical guidelines. Okay, so we'll just brush through it. Super practical, easy, simple, just some guidelines to follow as you try to apply this prayer into your life. And I am sure I can put my life on it that you will discover the most precious gem. Right? And whenever you start to practice the Jesus prayer, your whole life will change. Your whole life will change. You will truly experience like a different relationship with God, with people, and especially within yourself. Okay? So first of all, the prayer is composed of two parts. My Lord Jesus Christ is the first part. Or you can also add Son of God. My Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. And then the second part is, Have mercy on me, a sinner. Okay, so what's the significance in this prayer? The first part is basically to confide in the strength of His name. Because His name is strength. His name is might. His name is power. His name is salvation. In Proverbs 18.10, the scripture says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs to it and is safe. And in Psalms 124, verse 8, Our help is in the name of the Lord. And this is what Christ himself tells us in John 14, 13, Whatever you ask in my name, I will do. Right? So there's power in his name. Right? The demons fear his name, just as they fear the cross. Right? Because the name is not just this uh, this random word but 
It's the representation of his identity. Right? When I call on his name, I bring his identity and his life within me. Okay? Invoking his name is also our faith and salvation. It's an affirmation that he is my God and he is my Savior. Okay, in Acts 4.12, the scripture says, There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other name that can save us except for the name of Christ. And this is how St. John Climacus urges us to act in the ladder of divine ascent. He says, Strike your enemies with the name of Jesus, for there is no stronger weapon in heaven or earth. Strike your enemies by what? By the name of Jesus. There is no stronger weapon on heaven or earth. You think of the most powerful weapon, like the atomic bomb, <laughs> whatever you can think of, doesn't compare to the power in the name of Jesus. Okay, the second part, have mercy on me, a sinner. Okay. When I plead for his mercy, I acknowledge my need for him. Right? I admit that I am in need of mercy. I'm in need of love. I'm in need of his compassion. Psalm 40 verse 17 says, I am poor and needy. The Lord takes care of me. You are my helper and my savior. The moment I say, have mercy on me, it's an acknowledgement of my need for that mercy. It brings my heart and soul into a place of humility. Right? And, and that's what opens the heavens. Okay? In the Psalms, Psalm 50 verse 3, we pray this in the beginning of Igbeya. For I'm conscious of my iniquities and my sins always before me. I'm conscious of my iniquities. I know that I am a sinner. And a little bit later in that very same psalm, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and humbled heart God shall not despise. When God sees that I am approaching Him with that humility, when I'm acknowledging my sinfulness, He runs to my aid. Right? That's why the Lord exalts the humble. Right? But the proud are sent away empty. In 1 Timothy 1.15, St. Paul tells us, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. St. Paul is telling his little disciple that I am the worst of all sinners. Right? The one who cast out demons by his handkerchiefs, evil spirits are cast out and the sick are healed. The one who raised the dead. Right? Remember when Eutyches fell out of the window and just fell out of this two-story building and died? He would just walk down and like, guys, don't worry, it's nothing, and just raise him back from the dead. Right? This is the same same Saint Paul that's telling his disciple, I am the worst of all sinners. When we adopt this mindset, we invoke the grace of God. Right? And, and it, it's nothing more than a, an acknowledgement of the truth, that I, I really am the, the most sinful. St. Isaac the Syrian says, God can never leave a humble heart without comfort. And if I truly believe in His love, then the moment I humble myself, I will receive His comfort. My, my thoughts are collected in one place. Right? And so, that prayer, My Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, part one, have mercy on me, a sinner, part two. You combine those, and you have the power and the grace and the authority of His name, the affirmation of the faith, and the salvation that we find in His name, 
along with the acknowledgement of my sinfulness, right? Humbling myself to say, have mercy on me, a sinner, right? Opens the gates of heaven for me. Okay, just some basics to keep in mind whenever I try to apply this prayer. This isn't just some mechanical or technical phrase that I repeat. Right? A lot of times we think that this is just like a set of words we say mechanically or robotically. But this prayer should come straight from my heart. Okay? That I should pray from the bottom of my heart, My Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. I remember when I went to Mount Athos and I spoke with one of the monks there. I don't remember everything he told me, but I remember one thing that left an impression on me. And I will never forget this. Like, I wish I took notes because so many things he said were amazing, but one thing I did not need to take notes to remember. He says, when you pray and you say, have mercy, you should put yourself in the same position as someone out in the ocean drowning. And he's crying out for help. He doesn't just say like, hey, can someone come over? Hey, someone like, stop by. Hey, can you help me? He cries out, help me. Right? And he had this like, deep, deep voice. Like He would cry out from the bottom of his heart. Right? Now, we don't have to shout and scream. <laughs> but deep down from our hearts, do I recognize that I'm in need of a Savior? Am I pleading and begging God for that help? Is my heart screaming out for Him? Right? Not emotionally, but out of my love for Him. Okay? Be free to personalize or just to modify this prayer. Right? You can say, My Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Or my Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Or my Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Right? You can modify it because it's not like this technical phrase that you're supposed to follow. Right? Make it personal to you. This isn't just some like yoga practice either. A lot of times you think whenever people are repeating this prayer, my Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, sinner. My Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, sinner. That it's like this sort of Eastern spirituality. But we're not just zoning out and like focusing on, on our own self. Yoga or Eastern spirituality and all that stuff is just to find peace from your own self, as if you are the source of peace. It's entirely prideful. This is to find peace in Christ. I, I kind of withdraw into myself to find Him in my heart. Okay? Don't be distracted with all the technicalities that you might hear about the Jesus prayer. About like the posture and about the breathing and about the way you should bow your head. And just This prayer is intended for any time or for any place. You could be lying down, you could be sitting up, you could be standing, you can be walking, you can be in the car, you can be doing chores, whatever it may be. Right? Although there is some time where you might want to dedicate two or three minutes to just start your day with the Jesus prayer, or to just be sitting quietly, and you're formally just reciting the prayer over and over and over again. And I, I think unless you actually do that, it's not truly engraved in your heart when you're going about your day and you're multitasking and you're doing chores and then the, the prayer can naturally penetrate your heart more frequently. Expect to struggle whenever you're praying. The moment you try to bring your thoughts into one place, into, to kind of bring your mind to your heart, as the Father has put it, What's automatically going to happen? 
every power within you, every power outside of you is going to rebel against you. Right? And you're going to feel that tension. It's going to be tough. But just like no one who works out is upset or frustrated that they're a little sore the next day, right? it's kind of natural, it's part of the process. Don't get upset or frustrated, don't get agitated whenever you find yourself struggling. Where it's not like rose petals and a red carpet in front of you the moment you start praying the Jesus prayer. Okay? Be patient and be calm. Okay? Be patient. As soon as you get distracted, what do you do? You bring your mind straight back to the prayer. Okay? If it's hard for you to repeat this prayer, if you're praying, My Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner, and you keep getting distracted, try to pray verbally, especially when you're at home. Right? Because when you're praying verbally, then you're using more senses. Right? And when you're more engaged, you, you're praying verbally and you can hear your own words, My Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Then your whole body, your mind, your soul, all of your senses are working together and that will help you to be consistent in your prayer. Whenever you're dedicating a little bit of time to pray, and then you're just going to sit for two or three minutes and to pray the Jesus prayer, you'll find that when your body is still, your mind will follow. A lot of times our mind is scattered, we're going all over the place. Right? We're thinking about this, our emotions are here, our feelings are there. But whenever your body is still, you just stand in one place. You'll find that your mind, your heart, all of your thoughts will follow. Okay? They will also just be still. Spiritual stillness or mental stillness typically follows physical stillness. It doesn't necessarily mean every time your body is still, your mind is going to be still. But it certainly helps. And of course... Your mind can be still whenever your body is moving. When you're out in a crowded place, you can still be centered in Christ and you can still be prayerful. But again, these are just some helpful guidelines to get you started. Okay? Try to dedicate some time to actually pray this, especially in the morning. The moment we wake up and we go out into the world, it's like warfare. It's, it's a war. Right? Your thoughts are all over the place. You have to get this, kids, work, chores, your school, your driving, you name it. Your thoughts are bouncing off the walls. And so, try to begin your day with just two minutes. Like, especially if you have a little bit of time to like, read the Bible or to pray Igbeya. Before you walk out of your room for two minutes... My Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Nice and slowly, just repeat that. And I promise you, your entire day will change. Okay? Try to talk to your father confession about applying a spiritual rule. Because this is really important for us to adopt. A lot of us don't even know what the Jesus prayer is. Let alone going to our father confession to try to adopt a spiritual rule or a discipline to apply this more frequently. Right? But talk to your father of confession. I'll leave you with this final thought. If you have a prayer rope, then it will help you to keep your body and your mind engaged together. Right? So you can see this little bracelet I have here. This is basically a mini prayer rope. Like you could have a bigger one with like 33 knots for the age of Christ or 50 knots or 100 knots or some really long ones. And so... At home, 
you keep it in your hand. And as St. Theophane Eratlis puts it, he has a very beautiful quote about the use of the prayer rope. He says, the hands at work, the mind and heart with God. When the hands are at work, it puts the mind and the heart with God. And so this will protect you from Satan disrupting the flow in your prayer. And what typically happens, whenever we lose our prayer, it's because the way the fathers put it, it's like Satan plants this bomb in between every Jesus prayer because he'll never disrupt the, the prayer in the middle of it, right? It's as soon as I finish my Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me a sinner, then he'll throw in another thought to discontinue the flow of the following prayer, right? And so I have to train myself to just let the next Jesus prayer follow immediately. And it becomes like a chain, all these powerful links, right? And that chain is what will protect me, right? So I do that and the prayer rope will help me. I keep my, my hands working with every knot, I move, my Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. My Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. My, and I, I pray that from the bottom of my heart, nice and slowly. Don't worry about your breath and don't worry about the mechanics. Don't worry about the techniques that people talk about. Just praying slowly, peacefully, gently from the bottom of my heart. Some Orthodox churches at the end of the liturgy dedicate up to an hour for the entire congregation to just sit quietly and to recite the Jesus prayer. It's beautiful. Because what happens, like, even after we finish praying liturgy, what happens to all the grace that we receive? And I tell you this, that's why I don't like people to get chaotic and to start socializing immediately. Right? All the grace that we receive just kind of fades away. Right? I remember I met someone a few years ago, like, this, this young lady had such a, a beautiful, cheerful smile. Like a very sweet, gentle, joyful young lady. I'm like, I, I love like, the spirit that you have. It's, it's beautiful. She says, Abuna, you have no idea. My life has been like chaos for years. Right? And she spoke to me about like traumatic events that she's experienced and depression and suicide and this and that I'm like whoa like that's it's pretty crazy like how did you go from that to this you know what she told me the Jesus prayer she said I've tried everything therapy counseling medications I've tried books I've tried this I've tried that but one day I went to church I prayed I took communion and I sat there reciting the Jesus prayer. And ever since, it just kept my mind and my heart in one place. It protected me. It gave me that sense of peace and harmony. May the Lord protect us by His name, protect us from all the divisive work of Satan to keep us united with Him and with each other and within ourselves. And to Him is do all glory forever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart, and we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.